Well, it is a waited time, and 30,000 people saw the show last year. 30,000 people came because people invited their friends and family. Just a great Christmas experience. So I just want to reiterate, reiterate what Andrea said. Invite your friends, invite your neighbors. If you don't get the tickets, I will. I've got a list of people that I'm wanting to invite this year. It's just a great opportunity to, to plug people into the Christmas story. So very, very excited about that. Hey, I'm Chuck, and it is good to be with you guys. It's Christmas, as you can tell from the set. We're moving into our Christmas series, but let's just hit the pause button on Christmas. I want to know, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Good, 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 good. Good food. How many people had family members come into town for Thanksgiving? We're excited to host those family members. How many people were excited when those same family members headed out of town? No, I'm just playing. Just kidding. Just kidding. Somebody clap. Don't clap. If they're next to you today, you shouldn't really clap. Wait till they leave town, then you can clap. But, um, but yeah, it was a good time. As a matter of fact, if you're here today and you're a guest, I just want to say a special welcome to you. If you're in town visiting family or friends and you've been here for the Thanksgiving holiday, just, just glad to have you make par- Crossroads a part of your experience while you're here. Um, I was actually one of the crazy people, along with 34,000 of my closest friends, who ran the turkey trot in the rainy morning of Thanksgiving. So it was a lot of fun. I saw a lot of you there, actually, and um, I think all of you beat me. I think everybody that I knew beat me, ran faster than me, but I finished, so it was a lot of fun. Um, But hey, uh, speaking of gratitude and being thankful, I was in here on Wednesday for last Wednesday because I was trying to get enough sleep for the race the next day, but I know that at last Wednesday a cool announcement was made. So to kind of fill people in who are new, um, the previous several weeks we as a community have been on a journey to figure out what's God calling us to do to fund some of the initiatives that he's called us to outside of this place to be a blessing to other people. And as a community we committed to raise 460, I'm sorry, we committed to give $46 million dollars to some initiatives happening outside of here to create space for our friends in Cincinnati to hear about Jesus in in language they can understand, to be a blessing to people in our city who are in generational poverty through CityLink Center, to be able to partner in relationships and build a place where they can come and move out of those relationships to real life change. We want to be a blessing to our friends in Mamalodi, South Africa, many of whom don't have access to just everyday health care. And we're going to build a site of clinics where they can come and get health care. And um, also just to be a blessing to girls in India who are being trafficked in sex slavery right now. And just to be able to create aftercare homes so when they're rescued, there's a rescuing organization we've partnered with. And when they're rescued, we'll be able to re- rehabilitate them and give them hope and wholeness. And so all of that were things we felt called to, all things outside of this place. And as a community, we committed $46 million, but... At last Wednesday, that number got increased. Now $47.5 million has been committed to game change. That is just phenomenal, phenomenal to hear. And it's because of what God's doing in the hearts of individuals being generous. And I would just say, man, if you're moved to give on this thing, it is not too late. Because the more money that comes in, that's the more that's going to go out to be a blessing to people in this city, in South Africa, in India, and around the world. And it's just an exciting thing. We have a lot to be thankful for as a community. We really do. God is showing up in some incredible ways. And I'm honored to just be a part of it. Um, So I wanted to kind of fill you in on that as we jump into our Christmas series, 365 Days of Christmas. What we're talking about is, you know, at Christmas time, there are these things that get dialed up in our lives, like anticipation, the, the Christmas anticipation of just the day coming, um, the celebratory aspects of Christmas, some of the things we do to prepare that we really enjoy. And what we're saying in this series is, you know, these are things that actually God would invite us to experience every day. They don't have to just be limited to the Christmas season. And today we're talking about anticipation, which is really just another word for hope. 
and talking about how anticipation can be a part of our lives on an everyday basis because of what God did in the Christmas story. See, the, the Christmas story is basically the fulfillment of the anticipation of the nation of Israel who were waiting for God to send a rescuer, and they were looking forward to Christmas. And today what we're going to do is look back on Christmas and look back on what God did and help understand how we can be fueled with everyday hope for the things God is doing and will do in our own individual lives. Let's pray. God, I just ask that today you would be our teacher, that um, for some of us, God, we've heard many of these words that we're going to talk about today, these stories from the Bible. We've heard them many times before. For others of us, they may be brand new. And I pray that for all of us, there would be newness today as we look at this incredible story of Jesus breaking into the world as a baby um, that we celebrate at Christmas, that we would see your character and your heart for us in a fresh way. In Jesus' name, amen. So Christmas is really the story of hope. It really is the story of how do you anticipate what God is going to do. And the cool thing about Christmas is no matter where you are in your spiritual spectrum, it really calls into question some core things that all of us struggle with and wrestle with. One being, can you really trust the goodness of God? Is God good? Can you really trust his goodness? We all wrestle with that question, whether we don't believe in God, whether we're just coming, warming up to the belief in God, or whether we've been following him for years. That's a question we'll wrestle with. Is God really good? And is hope in God a real thing? Can it have a tangible impact in your everyday life? And today, that's what we're going to go after is answering those questions. And for me, when I think about the gravity of those questions and how they impact my life, it helps to go to school on spiritual giants. It helps to go to school on people who have lived out these principles in their lives. And for me, when I think about people who have demonstrated hope of biblical proportions, there's really a very short list. And at the top of that list is um, a spiritual role model of mine. He's actually the lead character in what I believe is the best Christmas movie ever and the only one to be filmed in Cleveland, Ohio. Let's take a look at this. Ralphie is my spiritual hero. Yes, Ralphie. Yes, yes, yes. Probably the best narration of any movie ever. I love that movie. And the thing that I laugh about every time I see it is this kid knows how to hope. He knows about anticipation. He is persistent. Doesn't matter how many people tell him, you'll shoot your eye out. He still wants this rifle. He wants it. And I think we've all had something like that that we've wanted for Christmas, right? We've all had a, a gift or a toy or maybe it was a piece of clothing. For me, I don't know if anybody remembers this or not, Tyco came out in the 80s with this thing called Cliffhangers. It was like the first electric track. And here was the big marketing ploy on this thing. You don't have to be limited to a track that just runs flat on the floor. No, 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 no. With cliffhangers, you could actually run it up the wall and around the wall and back. And I was just so excited. I wanted cliffhangers in a bad way. And if, and if you had that kind of experience at Christmas, you know that when you're a kid, the whole Christmas list thing is serious business. I'm in serious business. I, I pretty much ran my own firm at Christmas time. It was the firm of how can I get the stuff on my list? And it began with a little research and development, like every good business does. Now, for me, my research and development came through a thing called Jeffrey's Toy Book. Does anybody remember that, Toys R Us, the Christmas book? So you had to do your research. And, and I mean, this was a very intricate process. So first, you had to look and see what was the lay of the land, you know, what are all the things that are available. Then you start doing economic calculations as a kid. You start saying, all right, was it a good year at home or a bad year? Are we getting a new Christmas tree or are we using the old white artificial tree from last year? You got to factor that into what you asked for. So, you know, you're doing your research and development and I landed on cliffhangers. This is the thing I want. Then you move into marketing. 
It's all about marketing, right? So, you know, do you take the, the nostalgic route? Do you go for the cute factor and write a letter to Santa Claus, you know, and make sure your parents see your letter to Santa Claus? Going for the cute factor, you know, just, just trying to influence them. Or do you cut out the middleman and go directly to the source and say to your parents, look, I know the deal. I know who buys these gifts. I know who buys these gifts. And I want you to know that God could have given me any parents in the world, but he chose you, and I'm so grateful for that. I could, have, I could have been born to any other parents, parents who wouldn't, for instance, give me Tycho cliffhangers for Christmas. But no, God gave me you. So, I mean, you're in this marketing ploy really quick. And, and after you kind of do your marketing, then am I, you guys know what I'm, where I'm going with this, then the rest of the Christmas season is all about public relations management. That's, that's what it's about. Because you don't want to end up on the naughty list, you want to end up on the nice list. So I was always really well behaved in those weeks leading up to Christmas, you know what I mean? So we know a little bit about the anticipation of Christmas. I think that's why we laugh when we see Christmas story, because we've all been there. But I want you to know, I believe that this idea of eager expectation and anticipation, that if I ask someone like a parent for something, that I want them to be faithful, that I want to not put my hope in a pipe dream, but something that can actually happen. I think that's hardwired into us because it's so key to following Jesus. It's so key to a relationship with God. In fact, the Christmas story is all about God's ability to keep his promises. That's what it's all about. And we see that through the community of hope called the nation of Israel. Because that's really who the Christmas story meant the most to, was this nation of people who for thousands of years were expecting, were awaiting, were anticipating God fulfilling some huge promises that he made to them. So I want to walk you quickly through the story of the Old Testament, the story of this community of hope, the nation of Israel, to frame up why we celebrate Christmas, and then look back on what happened at Christmas and how it can fuel our hope. Um, You know, the story really begins in the very first chapter of the Bible where God's created the world. And he creates a world that works the way it should. It's harmony. There's harmony between God and man. There's harmony between man and woman. There's harmony between man and nature. The world is as it should be. There's incredible beauty. There's industry. There's work. There's creativity. There's the opportunity to have an impact. There's the opportunity for delight and pleasure and joy, all hardwired into God's creation. But the story takes a tragic turn just a couple verses later when man and woman decide that maybe God isn't going to keep promises to them and they choose against him. And at the moment they do that, sin and pain and suffering and brokenness enters this world. It's called the fall. And when that happens, when that happens, God, because of the way that things are set up, he has to tell them, look, you've broken this covenant relationship that we've had, and there are consequences for that. But even in the midst of God pronouncing those consequences, he communicates and foreshadows a seed of redemption, a seed of hope. And this is kind of the beginning of this story that ultimately fulfills itself at Christmas time. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, at the point of the tragic fall, this is what God says. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent, to Satan, who caused man and woman to fall. And he says, I'll put enmity, enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That last phrase is actually foreshadowing of Jesus. Because what he's saying is, you won't have the last word. The last word in my creation will not be that I'm eternally separated from those that I created. There will be a redeemer. There will be a rescuer, and he will crush you. He'll crush your dominion. He'll crush your kingdom, yet you will bruise him. And this is God foreshadowing the bruising and brokenness of Jesus on the cross. The fact that the the reconciliation would happen, but it would happen at a cost to this offspring, to this seed. 
And then a couple um, years later, actually hundreds of years later, God is forming this nation through which this offspring would come. And he does that by interacting with a guy named Abraham who lived in the Middle East, really didn't have a reputation of any sort. No reason that God should single him out. But God does. And in Genesis 12, this is what he says to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse And listen to this, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. He goes to this guy, Abraham, who was childless, whose wife was past childbearing age and says, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. Not only are you going to have a son, I'm not just going to birth a son through you, I'm going to birth a nation through you. And that nation is going to be a blessing, not just to themselves, but to the entire world. Again, this is God foreshadowing that Jesus was going to come through the lineage of Abraham, through the lineage of the nation of Israel, and that would be the reconciler. That would be the redeemer. And so the nation of Israel was formed around this anticipation. They were formed around this hope. Their identity rested in God keeping these promises. Their cultures revolved around the promises of God. Everything that they taught their children was around looking forward to the day when God would fulfill those promises. But there was a particular period of time in history in this nation's life where it didn't seem like any of these promises would ever come true. It's actually referred to in Jewish history as the 400 years of silence. The 400 years of silence. And in this time, in this 400 years, before that, God would raise up men of God, prophets they were called, people who were spokespeople for God. And they would have words of encouragement for the people, words to remind them of the hope that God was calling them to look forward to. But for this 400-year period, there were no words from God. They literally entered into a period of darkness where God was seemingly not around and they didn't really know what to think and there was no kind of revelation of what God was doing and what to look forward to next. And we know from history that that's a time where they were enslaved to a variety of different nations, first Persia. And then later on, when Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire, they became Greek and they were, over, they were overcome by the Greeks. And then right before Christmas, That time in Jewish history was under the thumb of probably the most powerful and certainly the most oppressive regime the world has ever known. That was the empire of Rome. And in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this darkness, light breaks through. Light breaks through when it seems like there's going to be no word from God, when it seems like all of these promises are just going to fall by the wayside. Thousands and thousands of years of promises get fulfilled, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. And God pronounces this with angels. Look at Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story where the angels interact with the shepherds and say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. There it is, that word again, not just for some people, all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now I have to pause. One of the things that always cracks me up about the Christmas story is these angels show up to people and the first thing they say is, oh, do not be afraid. Do, do not be afraid. Look, if I'm hanging out having a normal day and an angelic being just pops into my, I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to be afraid. So I just laugh that they always, whoa, whoa, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. But this is a time when they announce this good news. And basically what they're saying is, this baby, this Jesus, all of the promises that God has made to you for thousands of years, they're coming true. They're coming true. The, the seed that would crush Satan's head is this baby. That's been born in Bethlehem today. The the son that would come through Abraham's lineage and would be a blessing to the world is coming. He's here. His name is Jesus. You can go and see him in Bethlehem. And this is the celebration of Christmas. Light breaks through. Light breaks through. And what I look at now 
as I look back on Christmas, as I recognize that for the nation of Israel, this community of hope, their everyday hope was fueled by looking forward to Christmas. Everything that they banked on was looking forward to Christmas. And for us, Christmas can fuel our everyday hope as we look back on what God did to fulfill those promises. Christmas can fuel everyday hope in our lives. I want to talk about three ways that that can happen. And we're going to look at the words, the same words that cultivated hope in the community of people called the nation of Israel. There's a prophet who, before the time of silence, spoke some very specific words about Jesus. Very specific words about kind of what he would be like and some of the aspects involving his birth. And the prophet's name was Isaiah. And Isaiah was so specific in his description of Jesus. He was so clear around prophesying years and years and years before Jesus came on the scene what actually would happen, kind of some dynamics that would be uncanny for him to know before it actually happened. He was so detailed because God gave him this word that many people who are scholars of the Bible call the book of Isaiah the fifth gospel. The fifth gospel. And what that means is there are four authorized biographies of Jesus' life that were written kind of um, after he lived for 33 years in the world. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books of the New Testament portion of the Bible. But people read Isaiah and they say, gosh, he hit so many of these dynamics, things that show up in the gospels over and over again, that you could say this is like a fifth gospel. This is like a fifth biography of Jesus' life. And there's some words of hope that Isaiah communicated that I want to share with you guys because it can fuel our hope today. First, in Isaiah 7, he talks about a name that Jesus would have. And he says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. We just sung two songs today that have that name in it. And we talked about how that means God with us. And these are words of hope that Isaiah was speaking to a nation who really didn't know if and when this was ever going to happen. And these words can fuel everyday hope in us because because Jesus came and called himself Emmanuel, when we look back at Christmas, we're reminded that God gets his hands dirty. Christmas can fuel hope in our lives because God is willing to get his hands dirty. Can I just tell you, for a God... For a God to actually want to have that kind of intimate connection with mankind, that was a foreign concept in every other culture's experience of God except for the nation of Israel. See, for the most part, in early primitive times, religion, no matter what brand it had, no matter what they worshipped, no matter what the name was, it pretty much had the same dynamic, which is the gods are up here, we are down here, and somewhere along the way, we tick them all off. So the gods are angry. And so their whole posture towards the God was we have to appease them. We have, to, we have to make amends. We have to do penance. There was no concept of a God who would actually get his hands dirty, take on the very form of a human being, and enter into relationship with them. That was a foreign concept. And yet, here, thousands of hundreds of years before Jesus, God is saying, I will be with you. I will be Emmanuel. I will be with you. But really, that's no surprise to the nation of Israel because God has always gotten his hands dirty when it comes to mankind. Going back to the creation story, God creates everything, but he creates most of it with just his words. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be a sun, and there's a sun. There are moon, there are stars. God speaks it, but then when he comes to man, he, he diverts from the just speaking the word. And what it says is he actually breathed the very life into man. He actually got into his nostrils and breathed the very life into his nostrils. Now, I don't know if you've breathed into anyone's nostrils recently. I actually wouldn't recommend it. 
Um, apparently, I did that last night, and my wife woke me up to turn me the opposite way because she didn't enjoy the experience, so I wonder why. But, um, you know, but, but, but think about that. There's a level of intimacy that's needed. In fact, the whole picture we get is that God literally got his hands dirty and formed man from the ground, and then he breathed into his nostrils. That is a level of intimacy that only, only Emmanuel brings, God with us. And you know what? When Jesus came and took on flesh and came as a baby that needed his diapers changed, that was solely dependent on his mother and father for nourishment and care, who needed to learn the skill of carpentry from his stepfather, man, that was unheard of. That was unheard of, but yet this is the God who gets his hands dirty. And this is the promise that we have. And we can look back on Christmas and see God gets his hands dirty. And guess what? I want you to know God gets his hands dirty today. He's willing to engage intimately with you. Maybe you're here and you're trying to figure out if God is real. I just want to encourage you that God will get his hands dirty. God will reveal himself to you. If you seek him honestly, you will experience him in a real way. I believe that because he gets his hands dirty. I see him get his hands dirty in my life all the time. There's a lot of stuff in my life I need God to show up on. And I'm telling you, I have experience after experience to look back on and say, man, God, you showed up in a tangible way in my life. He gets his hands dirty. Back to the Tycho cliffhangers for a second. I, I actually, when I think about that Christmas for me, I realize my dad really role modeled this nature, this character of God, because what I remember about that morning is I remember coming downstairs in my pajamas, footy pajamas. You remember the footy pajamas? I remember coming downstairs in my footy pajamas and just freaking out. I'm opening up stuff and then I get to this box, right? It's the box. I know it's the box. So I'm opening up Tyco cliffhangers. I'm going crazy. I'm so excited. And after I opened the box and I just tear up all the paper, what ensued next was a two-hour epic experience of my dad trying to put this track together. <laughs> I mean, it was epic. It was epic. It's like, you know, all these pieces and all these wires. And, and of course, I'm not helping because I'm over them the whole time. Can I play with it yet? Can I play with it yet? Can I play with it yet? You know, and so, but I just look at that and I think about that. My dad was willing to get his hands dirty. He was willing to engage at that level for my joy. Man, can I tell you, I can't wait till my son wants stuff for Christmas that requires multiple days of setup and hiding for me to put it together. I can't wait. I can't wait because I'm so willing to get my hands dirty for the joy of my son. And this is what we see in the Christmas story. A God who's willing to get his hands dirty, he's Emmanuel, he's God with us. Isaiah goes on to say some other things about Jesus a couple chapters later. I just wanna read this to you, Isaiah 9, 2. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Let me just stop there for a second. You ever notice that the story of Christmas is a nighttime story? It's a nighttime story. Jesus comes at night. It's a nighttime story. The angels come to the shepherds at night. And I believe that's actually, that, that's because God is communicating something in that. See, because the nation of Israel very much felt like they were in a 400-year period of night. And in the midst of the darkness, that's when the light breaks through. And Isaiah prophesied that hundreds of years before it happens. How does that light come? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called. And then we get some names that really are characteristics of Jesus. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness 
from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That word zeal was like fiery passion. Fiery passion. This is a God who is fiery passionate about bringing to pass the things that he promises. I want you to know another way that Christmas can fuel everyday hope is in Christmas, we're reminded that God makes good on his promises. God makes good on his promises. Thousands of years, all kinds of generations, Israel in slavery, out of slavery. They're in slavery in Egypt. God rescues them out of Egypt. They're in slavery in Babylon. God rescues them out of that slavery. Slavery to Persia, slavery to Rome, all of these slavery experiences. And yet in every case, God keeps every promise he makes to them. God keeps his promises. He makes good on his promises in the Christmas story. You know, I, I, I told you a little bit about my um, love of the Christmas Story movie. And um, I'm going to show you another clip because I, I've seen that movie a lot. In fact, I actually have a problem. I'm kind of obsessed with that movie a little bit. Um, I've got the cookbook that goes along with it so you can cook all the stuff that they made on the show. I've got cookie cutters, and one of the cookie cutters is the leg lamp. Yes, the leg lamp. I can't wait to make some cookies with the leg lamp. Um, Ralphie's bunny costume is another cookie cutter in there. So I, I have a little bit of a problem. I admit that. Um, you pray for me on that one. Um, but, but there's a scene that happens at the end. It's kind of the fulfillment of all of Ralphie's hopes. Um, but I want you to look at this scene with the fresh perspective that I saw it with literally just this week. And as you watch this, look at the father's response as Ralphie's opening up his presents. Let's take a look. Just his giggling is awesome. It's awesome. You know, I, I, I looked at that and I said, that is actually the way God is. When God is making good on promises in your life, I think he gets giddy. I think God giggles at the opportunity to show himself faithful to us and make good on every promise he makes in our lives. That's the opportunity we have. That's the opportunity we have. When we look at Christmas, we're reminded that that's the kind of God we have. It's just an incredible, incredible picture of his faithfulness. See, Ralphie had a father who was for him. And, and funny, if you've seen the movie, I mean, you wouldn't get that from the rest of the movie. His dad was really a curmudgeon throughout that thing, right? Oh, my goodness. Remember when he's beating the crap out of the boiler and he's like, all the cussing he's doing, you know, and he's changing the tire. I mean, just wild. But yet, at the end, there we see a father who at the end of the day is for his son. And God is for us in the same way. That's why Jesus comes and there are these names given to him, that he will be a wonderful counselor. He'll be the giver of wisdom and wise counsel. He'll be a mighty God, a God who fights for you, a God who will protect you. He will be an everlasting father because through Jesus, we have the opportunity to become children of God. And then there's a final word that he's given, a final title, which honestly hasn't been completely fulfilled yet. And that's he's called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. You know, many of us are going to get Christmas cards in, in the next several weeks, and some of those cards are probably going to have the word peace on them, and they'll have the Star of Bethlehem or some other Christmas motif. And I just know that for me, that word peace, as we define it in the English language, totally misses the mark on how this community of hope called Israel defined that word. Because in Hebrew, the word peace is the word shalom. And shalom is way more than just the absence of conflict in your life. It's way more than just not being at war as a nation. But when they understood and heard that word shalom, it was a common greeting that they would give to each other. And what they were saying is, when they wished shalom on each other, they were saying, may God bring about a complete wholeness in your life, a complete fullness of harmony with God, harmony with nature. May God restore the Garden of Eden. In your life. That's really what they were saying when they said shalom. That word had so much rich meaning. And here's what I know 
I know that when I look back on Christmas, I see a God who gets his hands dirty, and I know that he still does that in my life. And I also see a God who makes good on his promises, but one of the things that I see in the Christmas story when Jesus is called the Prince of Peace is that in the end, God is going to redeem everything. God is going to restore shalom. That's ultimately where the story of of God is going. If you want to know what's the story of Jesus today, the story of Jesus today is he's created another Israel. He's created another Israel. People who follow Jesus, the church, we're now part of Israel. And we know that the day is coming when Jesus will come back and his kingdom will have no end. See, that part in Isaiah hasn't happened yet, where it says there'll be an increase of his government that has no end. And it goes on to say he'll reign on David's throne and he will reign on that throne with righteousness and with justice. And I don't know about you, but when I look at the news, I just realize I'm not there yet. When I think about the challenges in my life, man, I'm not there yet. But yet this is where history is going. History is going in the direction of Jesus ultimately restoring shalom. And at Christmas, we get glimpses of it. We get glimpses of shalom. We get glimpses of what the world will be like when Jesus comes and makes everything right. Have you ever had an experience at Christmas time and you kind of maybe say it in your head or maybe you say it out loud, why can't it always be this way? Man, why can't it always be this way? Why can't family gatherings always be this way? Man, why can't it be this fun to go shopping all the time? Gosh, why can't I get along with my coworkers like this all the time? Why can't they play Christmas music on the radio every day? Because for many of us, that would not be shalom. That's right. So, but, but these are the kinds of things that are promised in the Christmas story. And we can experience glimpses of it right now as we enter into a relationship with Jesus. We'll see it. You're going to experience it. And what Jesus wants you to know is he wants to be with you right now so you experience increasing levels of shalom in your life. So you can have a fullness and a completeness of harmony with God, harmony with people, knowing that ultimately in the end, Jesus is going to make everything well. You can have shalom. And so if we want to be a community of hope, if we want to take a cue from the nation of Israel and let Christmas fuel our everyday hope, then I just ask you to embrace this challenge with me this Christmas season. Simply press into that. Press into hope. Press into hope. That's kind of my final word. Just press into hope this Christmas. How do you do that? How can we press into hope? I'll give you two things you can do. One, man, read the Christmas story. Read the Christmas story. I talked about those four biographies of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them at the Info Center. You can also go to a website like BibleGateway.com, and you can just type in Luke 1. Luke is one of those biographies, and I'm just encouraging you this week, carve out 30 minutes to read the first two chapters of Luke that just literally tell the Christmas story. And as you read that story, maybe you'll identify with certain characters in the story. Maybe you'll be able to identify with Mary because you're at a point where you're saying, man, I've been wrestling with whether Jesus is legit and whether I can believe the Bible. And I I feel like I'm kind of moving to a place where I can receive that. Well, Mary was very much where you are, where she needed to prepare and make room to receive Jesus. Maybe that's where you are. We're going to be talking about that next week. So maybe you'll identify with Mary. Maybe some of us will identify with Joseph who was engaged to Mary, and all of a sudden his you know, fiancé says, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. Oh, but it's, it's by the Holy Spirit. You don't, have to, you, know, you don't have to feel bad about that. And he's like, okay, am I to believe that? And just how God really gets involved in his life and helps him navigate a difficult family situation. Maybe you know that you're going to deal with difficult family situations. Maybe you're in the midst of one right now. And maybe Joseph can be a, a person who models hope for you. Maybe you'll identify with the shepherds. 
You know, the shepherds were really, in that time, disenfranchised people. They were kind of low on the totem pole, didn't feel like they measured up, and maybe felt a little bit on the outside looking in. And yet, of all the people involved in the Christmas story, they are the ones who receive the word directly from God, directly from angels. And they're invited to go and experience and see Jesus before many other people in that time would see him. Maybe you can identify with that. I just encourage you, man, read that story. It is chock full of hope. And let that be a way for you to tap into the anticipation of a God who's with you, a God who gets his hands dirty, a God who makes good on every promise, and a God who ultimately will redeem everything. Another way that you can press into hope is, you know, in Isaiah, those names that Jesus are given, those names are really things that we can ask him to be for us right now. So maybe you're thinking about this Christmas season, you're thinking about your life right now, and you're saying, man, I really need counsel. I need to experience Jesus as a wonderful counselor. I need wisdom. I need direction. I need to be pointed out in the way to go. And Jesus promises to be that for you right now. Maybe you look and you say, I need God to fight for me. I'm in the middle of the fight of my life. Maybe there's a health challenge you're facing or whatever it may be. And you're saying, I need him to fight for me. He will be that for you. He will fight for you. Maybe you're looking and you're saying, I need to experience a father relationship with Jesus. You know, I've often thought about God and every time I do, it's about rules. It's not about relationship. I feel more like, yeah, he's up here, I'm down here. I ticked him off and I got to kind of earn my stripes with him. And, And maybe Jesus will, this Christmas, for the first time, open you up to the fact that God actually wants a father child relationship with you. And maybe you'll embrace that this year. Maybe, maybe you just want to have more and more shalom, more and more of the Prince of Peace in your life. Whatever it is, I just encourage you ask him to be that for you. He will do that for you. Let's pray. God, Thank you. Thank you for, um, for coming. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for this incredible picture of your intimacy that we see. Jesus, thank you for coming and being for us what we could not be for ourselves. And I just know that every time I come to Christmas, it's easy to get caught up in other things and other challenges or distractions and forget Um, the hope that really is at the center of this season. And so, God, I just pray for all of us. You would orient us to hope. You would orient us to a joyful anticipation of receiving you more and more in our lives every day. Amen.